for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Well, hey, good morning, Downtown Hope. Uh, thanks for that introduction. My name is Pat Linnell. Great to be with you. I've had the privilege of serving here uh, over the years, and it's really exciting to be with you this morning. Uh, let me just share before we get into the text. We're, we're picking up right where David left off last week in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to jump in. But I'm very relaxed, although I am somewhat of a warrior, which is going to be applicable. Not a warrior, a worrier. <laughs> it's going to be applicable for our text, but I'm relaxed. I'm chill. I'm a little bit more tan because this, this time last weekend, Kristen and I, my, my lovely bride of 17 years, we were actually in Cancun, Mexico for a wedding. Now, the backstory on me and that neck of the woods is I've always gone to, you know, that, that region on mission trips, global mission trips. So El Salvador, Jamaica with a different mindset. And so when a friend, a family friend called me up and asked, could you do the wedding? And it's in Cancun. I just sort of had this missionary mindset. So as Kristen and I get picked up from the airport with our private transport, our driver uh, reaches back and he says, do you guys want water or beer? And I was like, hmm, I don't know. Actually, probably neither because I think I don't have the right pesos, and if I take the water or the beer, I think I'm going to have to owe you something. I'm not sure if we're going to end up at our destination or what. So I had this skeptical, worrisome vibe from the minute I got down there. So then we get to the resort. Very nice, elaborate place. We're checking in, and our room is not ready yet. And a server comes up with two glasses of champagne and you know, basically said, here you go. Welcome to the resort. And now we're thinking, oh, okay, so because our room isn't ready, we get some complimentary beverages. And I guess it's okay to take these or whatever. So we're sort of, you know, getting a little antsy because our room isn't ready. We're out by the pool. We change, and the waiter comes back up. Would you like any more drinks? And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to pay this guy, tip this guy. You know, what's the deal? Uh, I don't have a room number yet, so I can't charge this to my room. And literally, I'm getting all tied up in knots, not really enjoying our, our first few hours at this resort because I'm not figuring out how any of this is supposed to work. And then we see people getting up from the pool and going over to this outdoor pizza buffet. And they were grabbing pizza and grabbing drinks and French fries and they were just taking it and going back to the pool. And then I look at Kristen and Kristen looks at me and it dawns on us that this was an all-inclusive resort. And I was just learning what that meant, even from the drive over. That meant, this is our first experience, by the way, with all-inclusive anything, uh, that everything was free. And because our provisions were made by the couple who brought us down there to perform the wedding, this was like all grace for us. And so then Chris and I, even later that night, we had to call the front desk to confirm, is this really all free? Are you sure? And it turns out it was. And then looking back, though, on that first couple of hours, I realized that that first part of the trip, there was great joy to be had, but it was robbed by the great thief of joy. And the great thief of joy 
is worry. Another word for worry is anxiety. Anxiety is, a, is the term we're going to see here in our text. It means to be pulled in different directions. It's this idea that we have this one thing pulling on our mind and this other thing pulling on our mind, and all of a sudden we're in these different places, and worry can creep up and rob us of our joy. Worry is the great thief of joy. And you know, it's probably not an understatement that all of us, on some level, we struggle with worry and anxiety. And you know, Cancun, uh, can't wait to go back. Love you, Cancun. But Cancun was a very lighthearted example of worry and anxiety. I didn't know if I was going to end up in like a hut and, you know, separated from Kristen because I couldn't pay for the cervezas or whatever. That was lighthearted, but there are more somber and sobering reasons that we are worried and that we do have anxiety. It was just yesterday I was flipping through um, social media and a friend of mine had posted that their cancer is back and they attached our verse for today uh, along with that news that they're sharing with their friends and asking for prayer. And so there really is a spectrum of the things that we face in this broken world that can cause us real worry and real anxiety. And the joy thief can get our, our minds running so much, uh, and you may experience this, it'll actually begin to affect your bodies, how we eat, how we sleep. Sometimes when I'm worried and I'm, when I'm anxious, I'll wake up at 3.30, 4 a.m., and I hate when I wake up at 3.30 or 4 a.m. because I can never get back to sleep. And for an hour, my mind is just running, and I can feel myself tense, and I just can't get back into the groove. Not to mention that when we're overcome with either anxiety or worry, we can make some dumb decisions. I have made, I don't even have time to get into all this, but I have made the dumbest decisions of my life when I'm letting worry and anxiety or fear uh, drive. But here's the deal. Paul has an important message for the Philippians as we're pressing on in press on and an important message for all of us today. And the message is this, we can flip the script and rob the joy thief instead of the joy thief robbing us. So no matter how strong the thief becomes, there can be a stronger guard on duty protecting our minds and our hearts from unnecessary worry. So I want to read the text for us this morning, pray and jump right in. This is Philippians 4, verses 1 through 7. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Heavenly Father, as we take a few min minutes this morning to look into this text that you inspired through Paul, I pray that we would be changed from the inside out, 
in our minds and in our hearts, in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we sit under the authority of your altogether good, helpful, and practical word, would you change us this morning in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. So I don't want to skim past the first three verses, but you'll notice some strange names and a very particular situation here. Paul is addressing a particular uh, couple of ladies in the church that need to agree in the Lord. There needs to be unification. And I, I do want to point this out, though, before we look at our key verse, starting in verse 4. He does say to these two ladies that they should agree in the Lord. And we're going to see that uh, phrase come back up in just a second. And I want you to hang on to in the Lord because I think what Paul's getting at is that things can be different in relationships in the Lord. Everything can be changed because of the radical grace that has changed us in the Lord. And so he gives these two ladies a really great reason. Their lives have been wrecked with grace, rebuilt by grace, and now they can be unified in one spirit together because of the very helpful and practical risen Jesus who we can all avail ourselves to, by the way, uh, in any problem, in any situation, or any relationship issue that we might have, we can turn to him, especially when it comes to life inside of the body of Christ in the church. And that is obviously uh, who he is addressing here, uh, the sisters in the Lord. But then he turns his attention to the whole church. And we're going to see this refrain, but he's going to broaden this big idea out. And no doubt within the series that we've been in, we've heard this theme recurring in Philippians of joy or rejoicing. And we see it here again. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And if you're a church folk, I'm a church folk. If you're a church folk, I don't even know if that's proper grammar, but at any rate, You've probably heard this verse before. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. But I think what we can tend to do, we can tend to like take in the Lord out of it and key in on rejoice always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And we can end up um, approaching this, you know, encouragement from Paul in a couple different ways. So I didn't bring big props, but I did bring a couple props with me today. Uh, just to show you the ways that I think we can come at this sometimes as believers, if we take in the Lord out of it, sometimes we just do it like this. All right, rejoice. Just do it. This is the Nike version. This is the stoic. I'm going to push past the pain. I'm going to pretend none of this hurts, and I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to get it done. What does that mean? Rejoice. Life's terrible. I feel the pain, but I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm just going to rejoice. This is the just do it segment. But I don't think that just do it works because if you look at Paul, especially in the context of this letter in Philippians, he's an emotional guy and he's experiencing pain. If, if you go back to some of the previous sermons, that we're going to see that Paul mentions his tears, his anxiety, even his sorrow in this letter. So Paul's not saying don't feel pain. So the just do it thing doesn't work. Another way that we as believers can approach just rejoice might be like this sometimes. 
Remember the Lego movie when it came out? Particularly this song. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a... Yeah, you know it. That's right. Sing along. Everything is awesome. This is just putting your head in the sand and saying, yeah, maybe life's not that broken, so we're just going to have an awesome day because God told me to rejoice always. I'm going to run around with two thumbs up pretending it's all cool. But that's not the case either. Because very clearly, we see... That Paul is not disconnected from the broken reality. In our context, in this passage, he addresses two particular women who have some infighting and disunity, so he's not turning a blind eye to things that are not awesome, and so that shouldn't be our approach. Some of us, maybe it's not the stoic, maybe it's not bearing your head so that you can rejoice. Some of us, we pull the Bob Marley. Now, Bob would say, don't worry, another song. I didn't even plan to do songs. Bow to sing. Why? Because every little thing is going to be all right. So Bob's theology is, hey, man, don't worry about it because it's going to be all right. But as we also know from Paul, this man has suffered his share of beatings and trials and abandonments and shipwrecks and you name it. And he knows that it might not be all right. And that's why this little phrase in the Lord is so important when we're talking about rejoicing always. It's so crucial to this command because it is in the Lord, in Jesus, in this risen, resurrected Savior who is very near to us and offers us grace upon grace and strength and help in very practical ways. It is because of him and his atmosphere and his presence in our life that we can say, I can rejoice always because Jesus is alive and he's given me great reason to rejoice so let me just get on the same page here with everybody and say that joy is not the absence of all suffering or of all desire but it is the soul energizing hope caused by a deep confidence in God's presence and power and provision in the risen Jesus. That's where joy always can come from. We don't have to muster it up with a swoosh or pretend everything's good or just say it's all going to work out because it might not. But in all of those circumstances, we can say, I can rejoice and it is well with my soul. And Paul gives a real example of this earlier in the letter uh, from his own life. So let me take you back to chapter 1. In the little first segment where Paul is talking about what he's going to be rejoicing in, and he brings this idea up. Let me jump in at halfway through verse 18. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This is his imprisonment his being bound to the guard and standing trial. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then we see that altogether infamous banner of verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, this is a set-free dude. <laughs> and a very real practical example of a guy who can say, I can rejoice always. He has a complete freedom from worry, a complete freedom from anxiety, because he's convinced 
that Jesus' hand is in the outcome of his circumstances. He's got two options that he calls his deliverance. It's either life or death. Meaning, if he gets to live, he's going to be released to sacrificial ministry, to pour himself out to the churches, giving of his time and treasure and talent and being a vessel in God's hands as, a, as this sacrificial offering. That is one route, and he's like, if that's the route, probably will be the route. I'm okay with that because you need me. Right now, he tells the Philippians, I'm good with that route to be like Jesus, But then the other side is death. And he says, yep, if I die, that's cool too because I get to see Jesus face to face. Paul's like, look, man, I'm in prison. We know that this is the context here. I'm I'm in prison. I'm locked up. It's going to go one of two ways. I'm free or I'm dead. Either way, I'm good. What? That calls for a heart check among the people of God because I can't tell you that I always have that outlook, and therefore I can rejoice always. So before moving on and landing this plane and just getting to our last few verses here, let me point out that this idea of rejoicing always, I'll you know, say it again, rejoice in the Lord, this really works for Paul because Jesus is his treasure. And our ultimate freedom is going to come when Jesus is our ultimate treasure. Think about it this way just for a second. Take that banner verse of 121, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I were to pass out a note card, can't do that now, not COVID appropriate, but if I were to pass out a note card with to live is blank, and we just had five seconds real quick to fill it in, And if we are really honest with ourselves, we probably put a whole lot of other things inside that blank other than Jesus. I would. To live is to see my kids do well. To live is to see my wife feel secure. To live is to have enough money in the bank for retirement. To live is to have status security and whatever else that day that I really think I need to live. And in that moment, whatever I'm putting in there, that's my treasure. And if that gets messed with, by the brokenness of life, you better believe I'm worrying, panicking, and anxious about that. But if Jesus is in there, if Jesus is filling in the blank, then maybe, like Paul, we can say, I can rejoice always. So now back to the message. That was just a little side heart check that I need to do surgery on myself. What he says next in verse 5 is that our rejoicing always, no matter what the circumstances, is going to be visible to the onlooking world. He says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This word reasonableness is also translated in various translations, gentleness, good sense, courtesy, forbearance. It's the idea that you kind of rub shoulders with somebody with reasonableness and you think, man, that, that that's, that guy's chill. He seems calm, cool, collected, put together. And then notice this is tied right back to the Lord is at hand, meaning Jesus is near. Jesus is with us always. This has kind of this end timesy application. That's true. The, the theological word there is you know, the eschatological impl- implications of, of this is that, you know, 
The Lord is near. He's going to come back. We don't know when. He said, don't worry about when, but, you know, just be ready. He's going to come back. But in another sense, Jesus says, Matthew 28, when he sends us to make disciples of all the nations, he says, I'm going to be with you always. And I get it. This is a step of faith to believe that Jesus is really near, that the Lord is really at hand. We don't have that same ability like those first disciples, you know, like Thomas, to put our fingers in his, in his hands and in his side and, and eat and drink with the resurrected Jesus. You know, this is a step of faith for us that when Jesus says, I'm with you always, that we truly believe that if we can peel back the spiritual curtain and reach into that dimension, that we would have Jesus riding shotgun. Or Jesus is taking the wheel, depending on if you're like country music or another genre. Jesus take the wheel, country. You get it. There's a couple country people out there. I know you got to chuckle out of that. Jesus is near is his point. What do we have to freak out about if Jesus is right here? Because as far as I can tell, there's nothing that's going to come into the life of a child of God that is not first sifted through the hand of God. And then in verse 6, Paul gets that maybe, you know, so far this is, this is a bit high and lofty. You know, don't worry. Don't be anxious for anything. The Lord is near. But then in verse 6, he's going to offer us, and I'm thankful for this, practical help in robbing the joy thief of his power. So verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. That's a pretty broad statement, by the way. I'll come back to that. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, so not anxious about anything is a broad encouragement because he's not just talking about, you know, things that might happen in the church. He's talking about things that might happen on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday because about anything has broad sweeping application of the nooks and the crannies of my life. All of those things that we can get so worrisome and anxious about, whether it is our health or our finances or it's our relationships or the outcome of elections and all of these things that we're trying to navigate. He says, yeah, all that, all that together in a bucket. Don't be anxious about that. Okay, thanks for that. What are we supposed to do? And he tells us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to replace that worry and that worrisome nature with prayer, very practically taking these things to the Lord. And notice here in verse 6 that prayer is broken down with prayer and supplication and then with thanksgiving, kind of like being draped over like a big cozy blanket. It's like a thanksgiving blanket. It makes everything feel good. But prayer, in Paul's mind, uh, it's not just asking God for stuff. That's more of the supplication part. But in the Jewish mindset, when you think about prayer, you, your lead-off hit is praise and adoration and availing your mind to the bigness and greatness and grandeur and sovereignty and providence and goodness of a creator who spoke the universe into existence, who authored DNA and then at one point wrapped himself in DNA so that he would dwell among us. He's the God of the bigness and the smallness. That's why when you get into some of those psalms that speak of God's splendor and glory, you know, this is probably in the back of Paul's mind when he's talking about with prayer going to God because when our view of Jesus, when our view of our creator gets elevated, 
and expanded, the bucket of our worries and anxiety shrinks and gets smaller and smaller. So the first thing he says is with prayer, avail yourself to God. Adoration and praise melts worry. Because then you're, you're just helping yourself to remember who is in charge, who created you in the first place, who has given you all of these promises in Scripture, like back in Romans, you know, about how all the things are going to work out for the good of those who love him or called according to his purpose, and that he's with us, he cares for us to cast our anxieties in him. There's so many promises to be digested, and prayer starts out by saying, oh, whoa, okay, this is you. All right, I dig it. I dig this. But then he also cares about the problems in the bucket because that's what this idea of supplication means. Talking to God and working through these problems of yours. This is where you're making your requests known and the things that you would like to see happen because after all, prayer is a conversation with God. And it's not like you're just lobbing up prayers into some invisible ether. Jesus says, no, you know when you pray, you pray like this, my Father in heaven. And there is a deep connectivity and intimacy that we get to have with God because of Jesus. And we get this because we're church folk. But prayer is an amazing tool to defeat the thief of joy. And then with thanksgiving sort of sweeps it all together because gratitude is a godly perspective on life. It's this creaturely posture of thankfulness and dependence on God. If you think about it, if you go all the way back to the beginning, first parents, Adam and Eve, naked, chilling in the garden. They originally had a posture of Thank you, God. <laughs> Thankful, dependent, obedient, listening, and then something changed in their hearts when everything falls apart in Genesis 3. But we get to go back to this posture that says, God, thank you for today. Thank you for putting air in my, air in my lungs. Thanks that the sun came up. Thanks that there is rain. And I know the world's kind of messed up, but I see your grace and your handiwork everywhere. And I'm so thankful to be here. Thankful not only for life, but thank you for salvation and sweeping me up in this great plan that I can know you. And beyond that, thank you for supernaturally charging my life with an identity in Christ and giving me unsearchable riches to walk into for all eternity. I'm not even going to get to plumb the depths of all the grace upon grace that you're going to give me, but I'll say this. Thanks. Thankfulness is a worry killer because you're being reminded of all of the amazing ways that God's provided for you in the past. So you can have joy in the moment and faith in the moment that he's going to continue to provide for you in the future. He that started a work in you is going to see that thing to completion as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as we'll get into later in the series. And now if you're swapping out worry for prayer, there's a great supernatural outcome, and this is our final verse of this morning. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you how crazy of a promise this is? A supernatural peace that comes alongside of an inner joy. And if you haven't picked up on the, the metaphor already, just you can picture Paul in this prison bound to the Roman guard. And I can just imagine Paul sitting there thinking about these Philippians and writing and, and praying and what to say. And, you know, maybe like his legs getting pulled by this dude who's chained to him. And, oh, a guard. Yeah. You know what guards me? The peace of God that passes all understanding. He says it's like that. Because worry and anxiety are going to come in and try to rob you of your joy that is your birthright as a brother and sister in Christ. But instead of being able to get in there, oh, no, 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 you've set up a guard. The peace of God that passes all understanding. You got bouncers in your mind and in your heart kicking them out. It's like that. This is such an amazing promise for people like me and people like you because I get worried about all kinds of stuff. Am I going to have enough? How are the kids going to turn out? Am I going to have life, longevity, and happiness? And all of these things that I worry about and wonder about and wake up at 4 a.m. trying to fall back asleep thinking about, there can be a guard around my mind and a guard around my heart, and that guard is the peace of God. And it's a supernatural peace. And it only comes, going right back to be the beginning, from that little phrase, in the Lord. So we can rejoice in the Lord. So I want to just leave you with something very simple this morning. I want to leave you with this thought. If you don't do it already and regularly and as a routine and a habit, activate your guard. It'd be like the president going into hostile territory without a secret service. Like we have the ability to avail ourselves to this higher power and peace and this guard. And you know, one of the best habits that I think that I have is that almost every day when I wake up, I will sit down before the day gets going and I will express thankfulness and gratitude to my creator, not only for life and being here, but also for sweeping me up into this plan of salvation, knowing who he is through Christ. And I'm thankful so if you don't have a, a pattern or a habit of daily activating this amazingly powerful guard of your mind and heart, can I invite you to? I love that we get to do that at Downtown Hope. I love that even in the beginning of the gathering, we can pray and confess and set our minds on Jesus and I'm imploring you to make that a habit, not just on Sunday, but every day. Because he wants to set you free. He created you to be in a relationship with him that is, that is made up of joy, regardless of the circumstances. And we can get there, not being anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, talking to God about all these things. So I pray that that would be something that I take more seriously in my life. I'll be praying that you will as well. So with that, Downtown Hope, would you pray with me?
Well, Heavenly Father, we pause here to say thank you. Thank you for these great promises that are so important for so many of us today. As the thief of joy comes rushing in, we say thank you for the guard that you give us in our mind and in our heart. Your peace that passes all understanding. And I pray that peace over my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray that they'd be able to press their finger in on the thief and the very thing that might be causing them anxiety and worry. And I pray that in light of that, they would turn their eyes to heaven. That your greatness and grandeur and beauty would grow. And as that happens, and as we communicate to you about all these things, we would begin to feel a peace. A peace that passes all understanding. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that we can walk with you in joy today. Amen.